So this morning we're going to continue our look. Um, uh, Steve, is there like an echo or... I'm hearing myself multiple times. Maybe I'm just hearing voices. So, oh well. It's not the first time. It won't be the last. Um, we're, we're continuing our look in the, in the book of Romans and Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And uh, this week I was, um, our, our life group met and we were kind of talking about in, in a summary fashion of where we were going to be uh, this week. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be preaching almost all through the chapter and they were surprised but just can you give me credit we've been tackling large chunks of romans lately not that it was on purpose it was just there's um i guess bigger thought units to tackle well this morning we're looking at a very large thought unit as paul is wrapping up his thoughts and and it's really a a long list of names and i don't know about you but you know, especially when I read in the, in the Old Testament, we come across the genealogies. You see that first name, and then you're kind of looking for the last name and say, okay, I'm just going to kind of move real quick through it because either I can't pronounce the names or I don't quite understand how it all fits. I don't know how it all works together. Uh, but often, don't we just kind of skim, right? And, and, and even if we are kind of glancing at the, the names on the page, we're not really connecting with them. Uh, but this morning, we want to take a, a, a moment and, and pause and consider the uniqueness of the names that are being mentioned and, and why Paul would write with such great uh, affection for these people. Uh, the, these names are here for a reason. In fact, all the names of Scripture are there for a reason. Uh, but very specifically here, uh, Paul had a very, very unique reason why he would call out certain people the way that he does. Uh, Biblical commentator William Newell writes about this passage. He says, this 16th chapter of Romans is neglected by many to their own loss. It is by far the most extensive, intimate, and particular of all the words of loving greeting in Paul's marvelous letters. No one can afford to miss this wonderful outpouring of the heart of our apostle towards the saints whom he loved, which means all the real more to the church of God. When we look at this passage and and see the names, they're not just like, hey, hello to you, hello to you, all those kinds of things. There's a heart connection. There's a heartbeat that Paul has for this church. And, and if you remember over the last several weeks, as, as we have been talking about Paul's desire to go to Rome, Paul wanted to visit Rome on his way of passing through to go further west to the region of Spain to preach the gospel. He, at this point, as he's writing this letter, has come to the realization, and this is really an amazing realization, that the gospel preaching work of reaching the Gentiles in the world of Greece and and the the Roman world in that region was nearing completion. And I shared with you a few weeks ago just what an amazing thought that was, that with all those people groups, with all those peoples that lived in different communities and cities and so on and so forth, that Paul was faithful in preaching the gospel, and he didn't want to build on anyone else's work. And so when it was nearing completion, he says, I want to keep moving forward. 
I want to keep preaching the gospel. He knew the calling that God had placed on him, and he, he lived that calling out. But here's what's interesting when we come in contact with this man that had a singular focus on the gospel. He wasn't just about preaching the gospel and leaving. He was preaching the gospel and building relationships. He was connected with the people that he preached the gospel to. And that all comes in full color on the pages of Romans 16. As Paul is sharing his heart to this people that he wanted to visit, he has great affection for some that he knew, many that he heard from, heard about. He cared for them. Paul was a friend maker in ministry, he built relationships. He didn't serve isolated from the body of Christ. He wasn't a lone ranger. He, he didn't try to do things on his own. He always had a ministry support team that he could count on, that was praying for him, that was supporting him, that was encouraging him, that was going with him. He wasn't traveling by himself. He, he often had an entourage with him. And we're going to come in contact with some of those people later on in Romans 16. But we see a man who was one of the greatest intellects that the world has known. One of the smartest people that we come in contact in the Scriptures. I mean, he has just masterfully wrote what we call the gospel of God in the book of Romans. Some of the deepest theology that we're going to come in contact with in all of Scripture. He meticulously walked us through the plan of salvation. How God has revealed Himself and His power is on display to the Jew and to the Gentile. And yet, He doesn't just stay intellectually engaged with truth. The truth that He knows that resonates in His heart overflows in the way that He responds to those who are a part of the gospel, the church. We see his heart in an affectionate way as he um, overflows with a personal love for those that he's writing to. And so if there's anything that we see in these verses this morning, it's that Paul has a great love for people. And what does that mean for us? I pray you have a great love for God's people. Now that seems easier said than done sometimes, right? But that we would really have a great affection for the people that God has redeemed. People like us. That we would be able to think affectionately, warmly, fondly of the relationships that God has given us, whether they are relationships that we experience right now in the present or ones that are with folks that are not in close proximity to us, or, or maybe it's folks that have invested in our lives throughout the years that we have walked on this earth as we follow Jesus. But that we would understand very clearly that, that to be a part of God's family means that we are a part of each other. We're a part of a family that is greater than anything that we could ever try to, to build on our own. That God in His sovereign plan saw fit to fit each of us together in a perfect way to share this common life. 
and that we wouldn't just be a people. And this is, this is the hard thing about sitting in rooms like this, right? Shoulder to shoulder in a row. Like, we see the backs of each other's heads. The Christian life isn't meant to be experienced watching the back of someone's head. It's, it's meant to be experienced in community, walking with people in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I, and I would say this, that as we look at this passage, Paul is remembering people, not just a church. He doesn't just say as he wraps things up, my greetings to the church in Rome. No, in 24 verses, he mentions 35 names. There are 24 names mentioned in the church in Rome, 17 men, 7 women. There are two households mentioned. There are two unnamed women mentioned. There's the mother of Rufus and the sister of Nerus, as well as some unnamed brethren. Paul knew their name. Paul knew them. And that's one of the other dangers of worshiping and seeing the backs of someone's head, right? Worshiping together with God's people. Do we really know each other? Do we take time to know each other's name? Do we take time to really lean in and, and really understand the, the story of God's redemption in everyone's life? And do we celebrate that? I mean, could you imagine being a part of the church in Rome? You've received this letter and you're hearing it read and Paul remembered you. He remembered your name. Now, it's very likely that the, the names flew off of Paul's mouth as he was dictating this to uh, his secretary. And we're going to talk about that in a minute because these people were on his prayer list. He had prayed for them. You know, when you pray for people, you remember them more. You know, I could give you a church directory and say, okay, your assignment is to memorize everyone's name. And you might be able to say, okay, I can faces and names and all those kind of things. And oh, by the way, we're working on the directory. We're going to get there, I, I promise you. But, um, you know, it's another thing it's one thing to, to memorize a name. It's another thing to pray for the person by name. To lift them up to the throne of grace. And so I hope we see the personal value that each one of us has in the body of Christ and also the, the value that we have in community with each other. Our culture is more anti-community than being pro-community. Yeah, we, we think that the world is smaller because of social media and online networking and all those kind of things. That's not community. It's not. Just because you post something and get a lot of likes doesn't mean you're expressing community. The only true community that is going to last forever is what God is doing in places like this with each other. And so the, the passage begins in Romans 16 by Paul saying this in verses 1 and 2. 
I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. The first person that that Paul uh, shares is the person that's delivering the letter. So you have to kind of put on your imagination caps, right? As Paul is in the region of Corinth from where he wrote this letter. He had spent maybe eight, up to 18 months in the region of Corinth. And he is writing this letter to the church of Rome. And he says, I want to come visit you, but I can't get there yet. But I'm on my way, but I'm sending a letter ahead of you. Now, I can't go straight to you. And we talked about this. I'm going to turn around, Paul says, and go to Jerusalem to take care of the needs of the famine that existed. And we talked about that last week. But he, he sends Phoebe, who is a servant of Christ, who lived in Centria. And Centria was about eight miles from the city of Corinth, right along the sea there. And, and she had the, the letter this, that Paul would dictate that was written to deliver. Can you imagine being the one that drew that straw? Right? He, Paul's like, Phoebe, I want you to go. And she's like, okay. Because this wasn't just going down the road. She wasn't like, well, I'm going to book a plane ticket or I'm going to, you know, see if I can get on a ship and, you know, make arrangements that way. I mean, you're talking about travel across either the Adriatic Sea or by foot that would take her all around. That this wasn't just, hey, I'll be gone for a few days and back. She was going to be gone a whole long time. And she went. What's interesting about her is what is said and kind of not uh, what is said. If you have, the, I think, the King James Version and maybe some other translations um, in Romans 16.1 when it says that she is a servant of the church, uh, some of your translations might have deaconess. Um, and, and, and some have wondered and debated and thought through these things like, is that an office or a title or you know, what does that mean? Um, I, I just want to say at this point, when we look at Romans 16, I, I don't think we can form a whole theology on the office of deaconess uh, as a result of this one word choice, because as Paul's using it, he, he emphasizes her service, not her office. It's very likely she's a servant in the church. Um, and, and he wants to emphasize that. And she was faithful in representing the work of the gospel. She was, she was faithful in helping with material, physical, and spiritual needs. And so Paul commends her to these Christians in Rome. And, and the word of commendation was uh, an important thing in the first century world. As people were coming on behalf of someone else, visiting a people they had never met, the, the person writing the letter would say, I commend this person to you. So she didn't walk into the church in Rome and say, here's the letter. And they're thinking, who are you? Paul himself is saying, no, she is a faithful worker for the sake of Jesus. Receive her, help her. She has been a great help to many others, he says, and to me. But then he begins his greetings. And what's interesting about these greetings is um, Paul extends numerous greetings. Nineteen times in this passage, the word greetings is mentioned. Seventeen of them are by Paul. 
And he says, or he writes, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So he says, send my greetings to Prisca and Aquila. This is Priscilla and Aquila that we're, we're found uh, in contact with as we read the book of Acts. The, this couple is unique. Uh, we meet this couple in Paul's other letters, and they're first made mention to us in Acts chapter 18. Luke tells us they were Jews, they were tent makers by trade, and they were driven out of Rome due to the persecution that was in Rome as the Jews were expelled from the Roman city under the emperor Claudius. They went to Corinth, they took up their trade there, and they met this man who was also a tent maker named Paul. And they applied their trade together. And Paul moved in with them And Paul soon led them to Christ. Theirs was probably the first home that Paul um, would preach the gospel. And there was a house church in their home. Luke tells us that after two years there, Paul left to go to the great city of Ephesus. And Priscilla, which is a longer form of the name Prisca, and Aquila went with him. Again, they took up the trade of tent making and they opened up their home and they ministered in the synagogue. And Luke tells us that one of the times that they were ministering one morning, they heard a mighty and eloquent man named Apollos preaching. But it was evident to them that he didn't quite understand what he was saying and he was focusing more on the teachings of John the Baptist than he was on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So after the service, they invited him to dinner. That's a wonderful thing to do. Invite your pastor to dinner after church. (laughs) Hey, I'm trying. Yeah, it's a break for you. So, um, and they instructed him more fully. Because of their ministry to him, Apollos went on to Corinth where he had a mighty ministry of the word of God. And so now this, this couple is back in Rome, the city that they were expelled from. They traveled back to Rome, and Paul greets them and reminds the church that they had risked their necks. I love, the, I love that phrase. They risked their necks. You know what that means. They, they put their heads out, right? They leaned into not just protecting Paul, but preaching the gospel and standing for the gospel, that even if it meant their own harm, they were willing to take that chance because living for Jesus and contending for the truth, standing for the truth, is more important than personal comfort. They risked their necks for Paul. And they were valuable in keeping Paul safe so that he can continue to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And after they returned to Rome where they lived when Paul wrote this letter, they had a a gathering of believers in their home. Remember, this is the early beginnings of the church. They didn't build buildings. Some of the, the early Christians in places that they could would meet in synagogues until the Jews were like, hey, this isn't right. And they expelled them. The majority of the early church met in homes, in house churches. 
and neighborhoods. People just got together where they could for larger meetings. Here in Rome, Paul mentions at least three house churches. There was likely many more because of the size and scope of the Roman city. But this one met in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. And then Paul says at the end of verse 5, Greet Epenetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. And then he says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. You never forget the first person you're able to share the gospel with, and they believe. Like, if you've ever had that privilege, and I pray that you have, there's something unique about that first person. What does Paul say about uh, Epenetus? My beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. As Paul went, this man came in his contact, and he believed the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And he was there in Rome. He was the first fruits of Paul's ministry. And he cherished him, and he says, my greetings to him. And then he mentions Mary, and this could be one of the many Marys that we either read about earlier on in the New Testament or just a different one. It was a, a common name. But Paul says she has worked hard. And she's, a group, she's one of the group of unknown women who had the gift of helps, and Paul was careful to mention that she had worked very hard for the sake of the gospel. In verses 7 through 10, this is what Paul writes. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliitis, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. How about those names, first of all? Like, I read these crazy names, right? And then you have Mary's name. Like, why can't they all be Mary kind of names? But, you know, it was Mary to them, and it was Aristobulus and all those things. So, you know, we're not going to digress there. But Paul mentions in verses 7 through 10, Andronicus and Junius, they were relatives in some way. Um, When we read that they were my kinsmen, they were likely fellow Jews, And they were in Christ before Paul. They had come to faith before Paul came to faith. And we're not sure if this is a husband and wife team or two brothers. And it's all depending on the translation. Uh, Because some of your Bibles will say Junius and some of them will say Junia. Am I right? How many Junia Bible translations do we have? Okay, how many Junius translations do we have? Okay, so that letter S, uh, well, I'll say it this way, Junia, 
um, is the female name, and Junius is a male name. Um, we're not sure exactly, but whoever they were, however they were related to Paul in the sake of the gospel, he remembers that they were in Christ before him, and that he also remembers something else about them that endeared himself to them. He says that they are fellow prisoners for the sake of Christ. They're fellow prisoners. There's no better way to make a friend than if you're in jail, I guess. So I've heard. But, you know, he spent a significant amount of time with them, and he understood their story and what they were willing to forsake for the sake of Jesus. And he speaks highly of them. He even says even the 12 apostles in Jerusalem held them in high regard. Like they had that kind of credibility. Then he mentions Ampliatus. It's an interesting name. In the cemetery uh, in a region outside of Rome, found among the catacombs in Rome, there's a highly decorated tomb with the single name Ampliatus written on it. It's likely uh, this was a slave that came to faith, and he was a free free slave, free man, um, did not marry. And if this is the same person... Um, he was held in high regard in the Roman community. Urbanus and Stockies, we know no more about them than what Paul mentions here. But then we have Apelles. You might miss it in first glance, but when Paul says about Apelles, he, he says this, the approved in Christ. I don't know about you, but that'd be a great funeral uh, epitaph for a tombstone. Approved in Christ. Wouldn't you want to be known like that? Right? Our approval doesn't come from men. It doesn't come from our works. It doesn't come from what we do. It comes from Jesus. We are approved in Jesus Christ. And this is how Apelles was known. In verses 10b through verse 11, we read, Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now, Dr. William Barclay, who was a commentator and and Bible uh, teacher, theologian, uh, probably did the best background research on these different people than you'll find in many and most commentaries. Um, He tells us that Aristobulus may have been the grandson of King Herod the Great, who lived in Rome at the time that Paul wrote this letter. He was behind the scenes politically, but he was also a close friend of Emperor Claudius. When Aristobulus died, his household, which is his servants and his slaves, became the property of the emperor. And by the time that Paul was writing this, Nero was on the throne, succeeding Claudius, who was murdered. Right? There's a lot of political intrigue going on in the Roman world during this time. People jockeying for power and position. And so Paul mentions the, the household of Aristobulus. And it's this group that Paul is referring to and saying, share my greetings. And what he is saying is there are many in his house who are of the faith. Right? 
uh, a representation of someone who held a high position in Roman civil life. His household is known to be in Christ. That's a big deal. Because the name of Jesus isn't just making it on the outskirts of town. It's making it in the inroads of the most powerful families of the most powerful nation in that time. Then Paul mentions Herodian. Who do you think of when you hear the name Herodian? Herod. Now, Paul refers to this person as his kinsman, a relative in Christ, a Jew. This relative, Herodian, had become a Christian, likely from the family of Herod, and was living there in Rome as part of the household of either Aristobulus or Narcissus. Now, this Narcissus is that's mentioned, uh, the most famous one that we know in Roman history was a former slave who became the personal secretary of Emperor Claudius. And so when we read, when Paul sends his greetings to this household, once again, we see that there are representatives from his namesake that belong to Jesus, and they didn't just have a casual understanding of the inworkings of the Roman world. No, the person that represented their family worked for the emperor himself in a personal way. And so we see in the heart of the Roman Empire, the gospel is already at work. And we talk about this at different times, but uh, God needs all sorts of kinds of people to work for him in the kingdom. And that is why it's so important that we pray for our leaders. Because as they shine the light of Christ, if they know Jesus, they have an influence and effect as an act of common grace in the world that we live in. In verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So first, Paul mentions Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Their names mean dainty and delicate. Um, they're, they're sisters, likely. Um, just kind of imagine these two dainty and delicate ladies, right? Doing whatever they do. But what does Paul say about them? They work for the Lord. They work in such a way that he remembers them and greets them. They must have been some kind of powerhouse for Jesus and what they did for him. I think there's a play on words there and how he um, employs some kind of irony in mentioning them. Now, we know nothing about Paul's dear friend Persis other than that she too had worked with him somewhere. Her name comes from the word Persia, which could tell us that maybe she's from the Middle East. But then in verse 13, we have Rufus, who is chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who had been a mother to the apostle too, a spiritual mother. There seems to be little doubt that this Rufus 
along with his brother Alexander, who is mentioned in the Gospel of Mark, were the sons of Simon of Cyrene. And Simon of Cyrene is the one who carried the cross for Jesus when he was beaten and scourged and forced to carry his own cross to Golgotha. And he couldn't carry his cross because he was under such immense pain and he fell. And the centurions at the time that were leading this had enforced one of the bystanders who was in Jerusalem for the feasts to carry the cross of Jesus. And his name is Simon of Cyrene. And this man, Simon of Cyrene, a Jew coming into the city for the Passover, his home was in North Africa, but he evidently, while he had no interest in Christ at that point, had come to faith in Christ as a result of what he saw that day on Good Friday, and he passed on his faith to his children. Alexander and Rufus became outstanding men in the Christian community. There is an Alexander who comes to the rescue of Paul in the city of Ephesus. Then there's Rufus who is in Rome, who is well known and Paul sends his greetings to him and reminds him also that Rufus's mother had been his mother at some time too. Likely when Paul was passing through, she cared for him kind of like how a mother cares for their child. Now, verse 14, we read, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. We don't really know much about these people. They're brethren that were leaders of the assemblies. And then in verses 15 and 16, Greet Philogus and Julia and Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And so Paul shares his heartfelt greetings to these saints. We don't know much about them, but then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, this was the customary kiss on the forehead, kiss on the cheek greeting that many cultures in in Europe still practice today. Uh, Could you imagine when we had our greeting time here? Some of you are already bolting for the doors. You're like, no, (laughs) not happening. Okay, we're not going to do handshakes. We're going to greet each other with holy kiss. And you're like, I'm out. (laughs) But that was the custom. That was the culture. uh, He wasn't saying anything provocative here. This is, he's just saying, greet each other in a genuine way. Take care of each other express concern for each other. Now we're going to skip verses 17 through 20, and we're going to look at those verses next week. But what's interesting about those verses is it doesn't seem to quite fit. Paul's saying, hey, this person says hi, this person says hi, say hello to this person, so on and so forth. And then in the middle, you have this teaching. So we're going to look at that teaching next week. So don't read it right now. I know some of you are already looking at your Bibles for it. Look at verses 21 through 24. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and into the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Cordus, the brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. 
Amen. And so the first part of these verses is all of the people that Paul wants to greet, send his greetings to. The second group of people now in verses 21 through 24 are all the people that are with Paul as he's writing this letter. He's not by himself. You can imagine Paul sitting at this table. In fact, did you catch that Paul didn't write this letter? Tertius did. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because all Scripture is God-breathed, Paul is dictating what needs to be written. Tertius has the quill in his hand writing on the scroll, and, and Tertius includes his own greeting. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. It's still Paul's letter, but through his hand. But Paul says, Timothy sends greetings. Timothy was a well-known person in the the early church. There's two letters that carry his name because Timothy was a spiritual son to Paul. Uh, He was the man that Paul would often leave. He was the pastor of the church of Ephesus for a while. But Paul would use him and send him before him and say, hey, like when you go to Philippi, this is how I want you to work with these people and so on and so forth. Timothy's well-known. And then we have Lucius and Jason and Sosipater. It could be that Lucius is the Lucius that's found in Acts 13, and it could be Lucius is also the name that can be used for Luke. And it's possible that Luke is with him. Then we have Jason and Sosipater. These were people that were mentioned with Paul. Uh, Jason was evidently Paul's host when the apostle went to the city of Thessalonica in Macedonia. He stayed in Jason's home when a riot broke out in the city. Sosipater can also be the name Sopater, which is mentioned in Acts 20, that these are people that worked with Paul as he was preaching the gospel. The final name is Erastus. Well, it's not the final name, but the final name we're going to look at is Erastus. Erastus is the director of the public works in in Corinth. Uh, You can see that the gospel was penetrating all sorts of society. He was this city treasurer. In fact, there is in, the, in archaeology a monument or a, an inscription made to Erastus who held this position in Corinth around the time that Paul wrote this letter. And then you have verse 24. It's in brackets. Uh, it might not be in brackets in all the Bibles out there, but in, in most of the newer translations based on older manuscripts, you have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And it's in a bracketed form. And that's likely a clue to indicate that it wasn't originally in the first letter, but it was added as a scribal addition later on because it's not in the oldest manuscripts. And some believe it's just a fitting way of him closing this section. And so they added what we read earlier on in Romans 15 and 16. So what does this mean as we close? Because there's a lot to digest in the details of this person and that person and this person. I I want you to see the value of community that Paul had placed as he preached the gospel and he made a difference in people's lives. Listen, we make a big deal about community here because we truly believe that God did not ever meant us to live out the Christian life isolated and just a Sunday morning experience. 
but it, that it's a faithful walk with other people that love Jesus so that you can pray for each other and encourage each other and see the grace of God at work in someone else's life and have them speak truth and admonish you in your life and all those wonderful things that community provides. We have always, we, we always have room to grow, but I, I take great joy and pride in the fact that we are the church that we are, that we care for each other the way that we do. But this passage has also helped me to see or be reminded of something that's a little more personal. As I read Paul's words of greetings to the many that he includes and and things, it just reminded me of you. Uh, You know, if you were to write a letter, who would you include? Who would be the people on your list that you would remember It's not something that I always articulate to you, but I I want you to know how much I appreciate you and your faithfulness for the sake of the gospel. And the way that you have encouraged me, the way that you refresh me, the way that um, it just reminds me of the grace of God at work in your lives, that's a great source of joy for me. I'm thankful that you're kingdom-minded people like we want to make much of Jesus here. It's not about just liking each other. It's about the gospel. And it's not just about focusing inward, but we want to focus outward because that life's changing message makes a difference everywhere else too. And so I'm grateful for you. I know it's kind of like the mushy ending, sappy ending to a sermon, but uh, that's something that God was showing me very clearly this mo- or this week as I spent time looking at these lists of names. Because people are important, relationships are important, and we should treasure them and thank God for them. And so let's pray and ask God to do just that in our lives.